Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Jesus is true in all of who he is. He is the real God and the real man. And the holy and real or true one, notice in your text, holds the key of David. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a quote taken from Isaiah chapter 22. This guy named Shebna, he was a servant of the king Hezekiah, and he was also the keeper of the keys. Shebna wore this big key ring around his shoulder, and he didn't use his authority. He didn't use those keys to the city for the good of the people. He used it for selfish gain. And the key was ripped off his shoulder and given to Eliakim, who was a godly guy, and he used his authority wisely. And so Eliakim becomes a picture of Jesus who was dependable. He was a dependable administrator of the affairs of God. And Jesus says he is also the keeper of the keys. He has power and he has authority. Jesus says, I'm the one with the riches and the treasures of the kingdom. And I'm not like Shebna, but I'm the one who will use the treasury to do the work of the kingdom. Jesus is faithful. He's holy and he's true and he has the authority that no one can question. He has the authority to open doors and to shut other doors. Jesus has the authority to open the doors of salvation to whom he wishes and to shut the door of salvation to whom he wishes. And that is why he can say, listen, that is why he can say, I am the door. And he said that in John. He says, and you can't get to heaven any other way except through me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no, not anybody can get to heaven except they come through him. So he, Jesus, is the one who holds the key. And he opens and closes as he wishes. And so what made the church at Philadelphia a solid church is that it was, number one, under the authority of the one who is holy, the one who is genuine, the one who is real, who holds the keys to the kingdom, Jesus Christ. In other words, it's a church that is living in submission to Jesus and allows Jesus and his word to be the authority. Now listen, there are a lot of churches who talk about Jesus. There's a lot of churches. Talk about Jesus. They throw the name of Jesus around like, yeah, 
In Jesus' name, we claim this. In Jesus' name, we say this. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And listen, it is one thing to use the name of Jesus, but it is another thing to live under the authority of his word. Now, this is where they deny him. And this was what Jesus said, I love about the church at Philadelphia because they kept my word. This is what Jesus loved about them. They didn't just go, Jesus this, Jesus that, all oh, the name of Jesus this, Jesus that. We, our ministry is named Jesus, the name of the ministry is Jesus' name only. Jesus says, no. This church was a great church because they lived under the authority. They didn't just speak his name. They lived under the authority of the word of God. Secondly, what made them a great church? Write this down. Because they were given divine opportunity. Divine opportunity? What do you mean, Rodney? Well, look in verse 8 in your text. Notice Jesus says, I know your works. See. Now, you should circle that word. It's a very small but a very important word. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, not a lot of strength, not much strength, just a little strength, have kept my word, that's what you've done, and you have not denied my name. Notice Jesus says, I know your works. see, I have set before you an open door. Now, there are differing opinions as to what the open door means. Keep in mind, remember the history of Philadelphia. They had a great strategic location to be able to take their culture to the surrounding nations. From Europe to the east. And this church, because of their location, they had an ability to be able to also take the gospel to the surrounding nations. So this church had an, a great evangelistic calling. So I believe that this open door is a reference to an open door of ministry. An open door of ministry. In the New Testament, an open door speaks of an opportunity for ministry. We know that from Acts chapter 14. If you're taking notes, write it down, look it up later. Talks about a door of faith to the Gentiles. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3. Paul asked the people of Colossae to pray that God would open a door for the word that he might speak the mysteries of Christ. Again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Paul is talking about a door to preach the gospel. And Jesus is saying to the church of Philadelphia, I have given you not only an open door to take your culture and your way of life to the world, but I've also given you an open door to take the gospel to the world. But this is what you need to do, Philly people. Philly Christians, you need to see the open door. Did you see that? He said, see, I have set before you an open door. 
See, they needed to see the open door that is in front of them. And we need to see the open door that is in front of us. God has always given us open doors to preach the gospel. He always is. Your friends, if you have a friend, if you have a friend, that's an open door to preach the gospel. You know what I usually do when I meet people? I usually, if I'm outside of this setting, the church, pardon me, I will immediately try to strike up a conversation about godly things. You see, because I'm seeking an open door for ministry. You have a friend, that's an open door. Do they know Jesus? If they don't, then that friend becomes your mission field. That is an open door. Listen, you have an open door of ministry if you're in a long line at Harris Teeter. What? Yeah, instead of getting met like up. Come on, new trainee. Oh, I've been here all of 30 seconds. Come, oh, these, where can you get good help nowadays? Oh, come on, lady, I got to get out of here. Instead, why not look at the person behind you and say, hey, how you doing? New around here? Oh, yeah, 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 me too. I just got here. Go to church? Yeah. <laughs> No? Oh, okay. Well, then fall down on your knees right now and get saved, you low-life sinner! No, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, you, you go to church? No, really? You're Christian? No, really? Why not? Hey, well, you know, Jesus loves you. And, uh, you know, if you, don't, if you don't repent right now, you're going to burn in hell with the worms. Um, no, don't do that. I'm sorry. What's in you going to come out of you, man? But it's an open door to preach the gospel at work, in your office, at school. There's so many open doors that the Lord has given us. And we need to be mindful to take them at the office. I wonder if they know you're a Christian there, where you work. Do they know you're a Christian? Well, I leave my Bible on my desk. Really? So? But wait a minute, they're, they're unbelievers. Now, they're not going to see your Bible on, on your desk and go, oh, well, that person must be a born-again, on-fire Christian for Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, well, that's what they must be. Well, they must be born again. They got a Bible on the desk. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. They're not going to know you're a Christian unless you tell them. Unless you say, hey. Are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. Let me tell you why I'm a Christian. Do they know that you're a Christian at work, at school? Do they know? You know, I found this illustration. Someone once asked Spurgeon, how could he win others to Jesus? The prince of preachers, Spurgeon, he asked him, he said, what are you? What do you do? Well, the man said, I'm an engine driver on a train. Well, then Spurgeon said, is the man who shovels coal on your train a Christian? I don't know, the man said. Go back, said Spurgeon, and find out and start on him. Don't you love that? Just start right where you are, where God has given you an open door, and where God has given you an open door, then just walk right through it. Walk right through it. 
God is constantly giving us open doors, and we need to be willing to walk through it. From time to time, you know that I take missions trips, and people will say, hey, pastor, I'd like to go on a missions trip with you. And I'll go, great. Have you been telling people about Jesus? Well, no. Um, do the people at work know you're a Christian? You've been telling them about Jesus? No. Uh, what about your neighbor across the street? Do, have you been telling them about Jesus? Um, no. Well, then what makes me think that you're all of a sudden going to get on a plane and travel to the Far East and all of a sudden become Mr. and Mrs. Evangelist when you won't even tell the person across the street about Jesus? God has given us an open door, and we need to take it. We need to open that door and walk right on through it and share your faith with people. It's a spiritually healthy thing. And just let me tell you something. If you feel that your Christianity is just kind of blah, if you feel like, you know, oh, another Bible study, oh, another Bible study at church, I guarantee you, I dare you, I D-double dare you, I D-double dare you with sugar on top. Go tell someone about Jesus and watch a flame spark under you just like that. It is an awesome, awesome thing to share the gospel with someone and lead them to the Lord. It's an awesome thing. And it will fire you up. It will get you excited about the Lord. I remember this brother I was sharing the gospel with and and I, I remember, man, I knew that I was going to share the gospel with this guy, and I had it all mapped out. Man, I knew the Romans road. I'm going to take him down the Romans road, and then I'm going to try to win him the Christ. And so I'm sharing the gospel with this guy. And I was really surprised because I'm sharing the gospel with him. I'm telling him, man, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. All have sinned and come short of glory of God. And I went through all this thing about, about Jesus and about salvation. And then I said to the guy, I said, would you like to get saved? Would you like to receive Jesus now, my brother? And he said, yes. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> and, and, and then, I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I had my plan, man. I, I knew I was going to go Romans Road. I'm going to tell him about Jesus, and I'm going to ask him to get saved. But I really didn't prepare for him to say yes, because more often than not, people say no. And I didn't know what to do. So I said, you want to receive Jesus? He says, yes. And I said, are you sure? Now, 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 you, now, listen, man, you don't know Satan is going to hammer you, man. You have no idea what you're in for. If you accept Jesus, now, man, you're going to go down, man. I'm trying to talk the guy out of it because I don't know what to do. I said, well, let's pray. Okay, I think maybe we need to pray. All right, let's just pray. And so we pray, and I don't even know how to pray. And I'm just like, well, um, let's see. Um, Jesus, say Jesus, Jesus. Um, E pluribus unum, me pluribus unum, um, I don't want, what do you say? I, I didn't know. But you know what? I left from there. I'll never forget it. And I was excited about Jesus. And I thought, you know what? I can do this. I can tell people about Jesus. Why? Because God has given us an open door. And it will fire you up. 
And it will get you so excited about Jesus, you'll be looking for the next person. And then when you're in a long line of Harris Teeter, you won't be getting mad at the trainee. You'll be looking behind you to see who you can share Christ with. That's what we need to do. Take the gospel to the world. This was a spiritually strong church because God had given them a divine opportunity. And notice the Lord gives them three reasons why he gave them the open door. Can you see that in verse 8? Three reasons why. Number one, because they had a little strength. A little strength. Now, the Greek word for little is micros, from which we have the word microscope or microbe. It means small in quantity, small in number, and small in dignity. It's really small. And Jesus gave them an open door because they, now understand this, because they were small in quantity, small in number, and small in dignity. Now that goes in the face of what we think. Because we think that Jesus will give us an open door if we are strong and if we are mighty and we are gifted. When in fact, Jesus wants to use the weakest and the smallest in quantity. And these Philly Christians were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. Now that's interesting. Weak enough to be strong in the Lord. Do you know it is possible to be too strong or too big or too sure of yourself? And thus that makes you weak. God takes weak things and does great work. Why? Because he knows that you won't take the glory for yourself if God uses you and you know you're not worthy to be used. You know there's nothing special about you. You're just weak and nothing and small and microbe. And you know that. And Jesus uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And, the, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. You see, God wants to use that which is weak in order to show himself powerful. Then there's no greater illustration in all of the scriptures than in the life of this guy named Gideon. This is an awesome story. It's in Judges chapter 6. You ought to take the time to read it. God used Gideon, who was weak, to confound the mighty. You might remember the story. Gideon finds himself hiding from the powerful, awesome, mighty Midianites. And he's hiding on, in the threshing floor where you thresh wheat. And he's probably kicking himself because he's being a coward. And the angel of the Lord shows up, the Bible says. And the angel of the Lord says, hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Now, remember, he's got a hiding. And he's like, oh, the Midianites, oh, you know what I mean? Knees knocking, teeth chattering, you know. And, and Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon probably is looking around like, is there somebody else here? I mean, who, me? Who, me? Yeah, you, Gideon. I'm going to use you to save Israel. You're going to save Israel. Well, God gives Gideon 300 men to fight against the Midianites, and their army is 135,000. 300 Israelis and 135,000 Midianites. The odds are 450 to 1. Well, one night, Gideon divided the men in three groups and he gave them three things a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. 
And Gideon says, listen, fellas, he says, when you hear the trumpet sound, he says, blow your trumpets. And he says, and break the pitchers and then start screaming, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now, the interesting thing is that they didn't even have a sword. So Gideon says, when you, when you hear the trumpet blast, start screaming, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And while the Midianites were asleep, it's a great story. While they were asleep, they woke up to the sounds of trumpets and yelling and the bright lighted torches in their face, which caused a bunch of confusion. They come running out of their tents. They start whacking each other with the sword. And God got a great victory with just a few. The weak things to confound the mighty. 450 to 1, God likes those odds. We find those odds again with the 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah on Mount Carmel. You know the story. And Elijah challenged those gods and they, their gods failed them. And again, there on Mount Carmel, God got a great victory. You see, it's in the micros, the smallness in man's eyes, that God gets the glory. And let us not forget about Jesus and 120 disciples to change the whole world, to turn this upside down world right side up with 120 men. And we are the result of even that very weak thing to confound the world, the mighty Jesus loves to confound the world with little things. And this church of Philadelphia, they had a little strength, and that is what made them useful for God. The second reason the Lord gave them an open door is because they kept his word. The word kept means to guard or to protect. This word was used to block off the enemy. And what they used the word of God to do was to hold back the enemy and to hold forward truth. They guarded the truth. They did not deny the inspiration of the word of God. They kept it and they obeyed the word. And then thirdly, they haven't denied his name. That's why they were useful. You know, so many people, so many churches today, they have no power and they have no vision it's because they deny the word. Oh, they might speak his name, but they deny the word. The Church of Philadelphia, they had a respect for the word of God. They lived like it was a holy book. They lived like it was an inspired book. They lived like it was an authoritative book. And even when it wasn't socially or politically or economically popular, they refused to quit living for, for Jesus and to quit speaking about Jesus. They refused. And God used them, the little things, to confound the mighty. Now, if you were here last week, you know we left off at the church of Sardis. Sardis, which was the period in history called the Reformation. And it started with men like Luther in Germany and went on through to men like Zwingli in, in, in Switzerland and, and other great reformers whose desire, whose heart was to unchain the scriptures and get people back to the word of God. The Reformation was an awesome time in history and yet it lost its steam. And that's why Jesus said to them, you have a name, you have a reputation, you have a history, you have a heritage, but you are dead. Now with the Church of Philadelphia, we move to the next phase of church history called the Great Awakening, 1725 to 1925. It was a time of great missionary outreach that has actually continued 
till today. It's 1793. There was a guy who was working in a shop as a cobbler. That's a shoemaker. We don't call them cobblers anymore. He was a shoemaker. And this cobbler had a well-worn Bible. And next to his well-worn Bible was a book called The Last Voyage of Captain Cook, a thrilling adventure of Captain Cook's journeys. And as he read these two books, the more he read, the more his heart was stirred and the greater the passion grew. And he started caring for the souls of men, more so than for the souls on the shoes. And on May 31st, 1793, after reading Isaiah 54, which reads, Enlarge the place of your tents, do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will expand to the right and to the left. This man strolled into his church and he asked the pastor, could he share a word? And he told the congregation that we need to strengthen the stakes and begin to include others who have never heard the gospel. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.